So, Kent and I were talking uh, on Friday, I think, that it is sometimes puzzling or, or different. We're going through the sermons, so we're skipping a bunch of things and, and jumping. So, if you didn't realize, you know, we jumped over Paul on the road to Damascus because there was no sermon there. So that's behind us and we're going on. And uh, James was executed and Herod died. More persecution. And, I'm sorry. Herod died. Yeah, yeah. Herod, King Herod died. So there, there's various parts of background that I'm relying on you to remember. Sort of keep in your keep in your mind. So chapter thirteen um, is actually the beginning of Paul and Barnabas and some other people who are named being sent uh, on what we call their first missionary journey. So they they leave Antioch of Syria and go to Cyprus, and there's some things about goings on in Cyprus, and then they leave there and go north across a little bit of water to a port city in what's now southern Turkey, Perga, and then they go inland from Perga to another Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia, uh, all these cities named after Antiochus from what a couple hundred years earlier, the uh, Seleucid ruler. Um, in thinking about Paul going into this synagogue and being asked to speak, if we're we're down to in chapter thirteen about verse. Uh, 14, 15, 16. Uh, Paul was from Tarsus, grew up in Tarsus, which is, I, I didn't look it up, maybe 100 or 200 miles east of Antioch. So this was familiar territory for Paul. He's, he's back in a um, place where he would have felt very at home in a synagogue, in a, Tarsus was a good-sized city, Antioch was a good-sized city, uh, a lot of diaspora Jews in the synagogue, in, in, I've never seen anything, but you might think Paul may have spoke with the same accent that they had, so they would have been familiar with him as well. Um, he and, and all of his friends are visiting, and they, they call on him uh, after their scripture readings. They call on him to see if the visitor has anything to say, and he does. So, better hurry up here. Um, so starting in verse 16, uh, we have a, a 
as these sermons go, a fairly lengthy uh, account of what Paul had to say. So I want to read and make a couple of comments, and then Kent will have some things as well. So in the middle of verse 16, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So two groups, the, the Jews in the audience and God-fearers. This the same category that Cornelius was in. These are, are Gentiles who are uh, hanging on, listening, coming to synagogue. Somebody, oh, Logan asked me last week, would Cornelius have gone to synagogue? And, and I stumbled a bit with a maybe answer, but here's an example. There are God-fearers in the synagogue, in, in yeah. the audience here. Yeah. Paul then starts off, as we've seen in other <coughs> sermons, with a summary of Jewish history. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. <laughs> Interesting translation. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And Paul may have commented, no, that, that's who I named after. Since Paul was a Benjaminite and was named Saul. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. One of the few, I mean, there are other references to John the Baptist in Acts, but um, one of the few more lengthy ones. Then Paul starts another section with the same address. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God. 
To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses, we've seen that word a number of times, to the people, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, so another address to the audience, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. I didn't stop to point out, but, and I didn't count, how many times in this he talks about fulfillment of, of Scripture. That this audience in the synagogue knew the Scriptures, knew the, the ones he was quoting, no doubt, and Paul continues to point out over and over that, yes, these things happened. Yes, the rulers in Jerusalem are guilty of uh, giving Jesus over to the Romans for execution. But they were, they were fulfilling scripture, fulfilling what was, what was written. Um, before I forget, you look at the next verse, I, I find it quite interesting. 
the audience apparently really loved the preaching. I mean, this says as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. So, uh, <coughs> I, I don't guess I've ever had someone leave a class begging me to please continue next week. But, but, um, Good point. But, uh, interesting that, that um, the audience here in the synagogue in Antioch was very pleased with the message, interested in continuing to hear more, interesting to hear more about Jesus. During the next six days before the next Sabbath, all of this changes. <laughs> uh, but, but for now, uh, they are happy with what they're hearing happy with, with the, the, uh, the message. I think it's interesting, we, we talked last week a little bit about Cornelius and, and Peter's message to Cornelius uh, as a Roman soldier, Peter doesn't mention the Roman government at all. Here, different audience. Right. This is an audience of Jews and God-fearers, and Paul um, doesn't lay blame on the Romans, but I mean that the the guilt is more on, as he says, the the, the uh, what does he refer to? The does he say our fathers and those? Anyhow, he says they, yeah, the people in Jerusalem, asked Pilate to That's execute right. him. Sure. So it's, it's it, uh, at least in this instance, Paul isn't putting a whole lot of responsibility on Pilate. And he was doing what he was asked to do. An interesting way of phrasing it. Questions, thoughts? I'll give Kent an opportunity here as well. I think it's interesting the the last part of the ser actual sermon bit where it says um, watch out then that what is spoken about by the prophets does not happen for you and he says that piece about look you scoffers and I think so like I think it's still so true today like hey watch out that like you aren't the person who the prophets talk about when they say Look, these scoffers, be amazed and perish. I'm doing a work in your day, a work that you would never believe even if someone tells you. It's like, I, I have friends even who will talk about like, hey, I, you know, someone was praying about this and, and the Lord answered it in this really like kind of miraculous way. And they'll be like, well, I'm not gonna believe that unless I see the whatever it is. And it's like, wow, you're so, you're so missing the whole story of like God trying to work here. and. 
Um, it's just interesting that that the prophets spoke it then about what was going to be, and the prophets spoke it then about what still is in, in a lot of people. Yeah, there was a few months ago at a, a fellowship that I go to on Tuesday mornings uh, that a significant portion of the time is prayer requests and, and uh, most of the people are my age or so or some fair amount older. So there's lots of health concerns and family concerns and ties with grandchildren in jail and all kinds of things. And one morning somebody said, you know, I just want to report that we prayed for this and this and the prayer was answered. And, and so it was given, I think, in a sense of, you know, I was just flabbergasted, surprised. <laughs> and someone else spoke up and said, that's why we pray. Yeah. Why are you surprised? <laughs> and and uh, I, I think, unfortunately, I would be surprised. So, yeah. That brings up the uh, point that I was thinking of. The 450 years, you know, <clears throat> things took 450 years to really fulfill, yeah. and and we kind of want to things be a little bit sooner, yeah. and it's just amazing how probably things won't be fulfilled until. You and I are gone, you know, whatever we're praying for, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it helps you to be more patient, I guess, uh, to know that it's happened so many times. Well, and even in Hebrews, to that point, in, the, in like the Hall of Faith chapter, it talk, there's that part where it says, you know, all these people died before seeing the promise, mm -hmm. but they looked to the to the to the city whose foundation, whose cornerstone was the Lord. And it's like, it's like, yes, I know that I'm not seeing it happen, but God, like, I've seen the arc of your work, and can know that like there is something going on. I um, verse seventeen. I don't remember how it reads, but this is the NIV. It says. He's given a speech about all that's happened, blah, blah, blah. Um, God chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And I was like, really? I, I thought they were slaves. I was like, is this just putting the spin on the... <laughs> I mean, well, they, had a, they had a baby boom. They had a well, baby boom. Yeah. Is, is that what he's what talking about? Yeah, that's a good question. And then he led them out. I mean, he's talking about they... The ESV says he made the people great, which I guess my first thought on that was, well, yeah, they mean they went from great 70, 70 people that, that came in with Jacob and his sons right. and things. Right. But just forget about the just forget about the 400 years of slavery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. you had a lot of hits. Yeah, yeah. but that all came about because they were so. It says that they were fruitful and prolific and multiplied yeah. and grew strong, and the Egyptians got scared of them, and yeah. they were the scapegoats. Yeah. 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 I uh, I think I have at home prayer. Uh, afraid it doesn't work. Afraid it does. What gives us goosebumps is when prayer does work. You know? uh, 
boy, with the class, I, I enjoy this class. I, I'm indebted to M.G. Wright. I was able to go to a conference this last summer, a seminar, where he had nine sessions in the Book of Acts. I told Debbie providentially that I go. I think she agreed. And, uh, I, was able to go. I love it. I love it. And uh, so, and other folks too. But uh, let me let me just kind of say brief things. I'm, I've been thinking of this week as as Paul speaks to these people in uh, in Athens. <clears throat> Remember, uh, Paul and Barnabas were in the list of five. Those two were chosen by the Holy Spirit to go on a mission trip, on a mission work, right? And um, and so they go out, and so we have the book of Acts kind of taking a turn in the road here. I think of it like a river. You know, we started out, day of Pentecost, and there was this move, and then it kind of um, followed the life of Peter and John, and then we get a little farther, and we introduce uh, Stephen, and it might take a little curve there in their persecution, and then uh, Paul and Barnabas emerge, and now we're going to follow Paul and Barnabas eventually, Barnabas will disappear, and we'll continue with Paul. And uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, the, the way the Bible flows that way. Um, so anyway, I, I like that. But anyway, we have, we have Paul's sermon here, and basically he's saying someone else is Lord. Uh, in the previous chapter, Leland mentioned that, you know, Herod, uh, this is probably Herod Antipas, who is proud of himself, and Josephus, I think, says he had a silver, I mean, he shined, you know, and uh, the people were saying the voice of a god and all that. This Herod Antipas, and uh, he's taking a little too much claim for himself, and he, of course, dies. Um, with Herod Antipas in mind, think about something. I want, this is kind of out, of out of out of the book of Acts, but it's the same author, um, son of the promise of David. Um, let me ask if Herod Antipas, who was confronted by John the Baptist. If he would have had a child from that incestuous situation, what name would he give it, that boy if they would have had a child? Herod. I mean, there are a lot of Herods, yeah. Herod. Herod. I mean, you look at the family tree, it looks like a soap opera, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if soap opera still exists. I don't watch TV in the daytime. <laughs> but but um, it looks like a soap opera, right? He probably named Herod. What name would he would never? John the Baptist is the one that says, what you're doing is wrong. You've stolen your brother's wife and you're marrying her. What you're doing is wrong. What name would Herod never give a son? John? John. Yeah. I mean, he would never do that, right? David. A man after God's own heart. This may be a trivia thing. I'm going to read from, I know you might have the journal there. It doesn't have the book of Luke, but let me read from the second chapter of Luke. It's going to sound like I'm reading from a, a Hebrew uh, phone book, okay? But this is lineage of Jesus through Mary. Starting in verse 30. Uh, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jotham, the son of Elikim, the son of Melah, the son of Menah, the son of Matthiah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed. Now it's being sent from Mary, right? Think about this. Nathan, the son of David. In 2 Samuel 13, who was the one that came and pointed the finger at David? Yeah, the, the prophet Nathan. David is a whole lot different than Herod. Herod would never name his son John. Think about this. Now, if we if we had a reference book and we looked up great fathers, I don't think David would be in the top ten. I mean, he was not a poster child for a great father. No. But David and his son, one of his sons, and we read in Chronicles. 
This is a son of Bathsheba. He names a son of Bathsheba. The first one we don't have the name of the dying on the night. But David named the son of Bathsheba the same name as the man who pointed the finger at him and said, what you're doing is wrong, what you've done is wrong. And I think that gives us a cool one. How can we say he's a man after God's own heart? Every time that little kid went around the house and he said, oh, Lord, Bathsheba tried to correct Nathan. I bet Nathan the prophet had come back to his head. That's kind of interesting to me. I, I, I like that. Does that not make sense? Yeah. It's kind of odd. But anyway, he's from the prophet. He's a Jew. He's a, there's a new Lord. It's no longer Caesar the Lord. There's a new Lord here. Uh, he was crucified. Shameful death. God raised him. I think every reference to Jesus being raised in the book of Acts, it always says God raised him. Mm-hmm. It never says Jesus rose from the dead. It always says God. Don't want to, don't want to, don't want to forget who should be credited here. God raised him. And the great message is you can be free and forgiven by believing in him. Something the law couldn't do. What a message. What a message. Maybe in one way, Leland, I've, had, I've been, been in ministry a number of years. I never had somebody come and say, well, we want more of this next time. <laughs> <laughs> I never had that either. <laughs> uh, but what a message. If the world knew <coughs> The irresistible message that you have the opportunity to be forgiven of your sins. Completely forgiven. They don't exist anymore. Micah says he's able to take our sins and puts them in the depths of the sea. Someone else added, this is not Bible. Someone else added, and then he puts up a sign, no fishing. <laughs> so often, we let God throw them in the depths of the sea, and then we reel them back in to nurse on them a little more. What a message. I mean, I have to think, if we could get that message across to the folks who are outsiders, mm-hmm. where our church buildings couldn't be big enough, <coughs> if they really knew you could be forgiven of your sin crime against God. What an what a irresistible message of grace. Um, and then, oh, yeah, go Oh, yeah, there's only one honey in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of surprised me. I must be a very liberal synagogue because, I mean, when you look at what he's saying, they should have taken him out and stoned him. Yeah. It surprises me. I'm, it, this is Revolutionary. Like, yeah, this isn't a deep point. I'm just, I'm, I'm surprised that they said, we want you to come back next week and speak some more. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it seem odd to you that... <laughs> I don't know. Good question. Good question. Unusual. And basically what Paul is saying, and he'll say in many of his instances, when he's given the defense, especially like we talked about Stephen, the roles are switched. And the accusers are now the defendants, and they're being judged. And what he's basically saying is the world has been upside down. God had this plan. He's fulfilled it in the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus. And you thought we were saying the temple is bad and the Torah is bad. No, it's not bad. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. He's the one the prophets talked about. And they they would read the prophets and the law every day, every Sabbath, and they missed it, didn't they? The present world is upside down, I think he's saying. Uh, 
uh, and you, I talked about a story, I guess it's sort of fictional, or a, a, a science fiction type story that C.S. Lewis wrote. And he said there's this house, and there's this beam of light that comes in at an angle. Maybe some of you are C.S. Lewis friends, you can tell me what this is, what story it is. Beam of light comes in at an angle, and he, he writes about how this is odd, there's this angle. Truth is, come to find out, the house is crooked. The beam of light is perfectly plumb. And it's like Peter is saying, excuse me, it's like Paul is saying, the world is wrong, and we have perfect guide here, and we need to set the world right. Um, I have other things, but we're probably out of time. I set, I set my timer, so let me know when it's time to stop. Oh, no, you've got maybe six months. Oh, that's a long time. Okay. <laughs> I would ask the question, and Leland ended by reading this verse. What would it take for people to say to us, I want to hear more of this? You know, I wish I could have unbelieving people come to my house if I had a party. I'm not very successful at doing that. I think Jesus would have been. I wish they felt comfortable inviting me to their parties. That's another thing that hasn't happened much. But Jesus not only would feel comfortable inviting people to his party, people wanted Jesus to come to their party. I think, wow, what would that be like? If we had the joy of the Holy Spirit like these people had, the people who heard it said, we can't get enough of this. Tell us more. I want to hear this again. Remember when our kids were little and they wanted to read this? I was to read the same story again. And the logical head dad would say, we read that before. Listen, they want to read the same story. You have to say it the same way grandma said it. You have to say it the same way grandpa tells the story. You know, you have to get on your knees and you have to make a bear sound or whatever. But I think an application for us about this sermon to me is the way it ends. When I look at my life, would people come to my party because of who I am? And would they want me at their party? Maybe there's something about the way I live that's kind of off putting. And I have been invited. Help me out. Well, I was just thinking that um, what would it take for people to beg for more from us? Would I think it speaks to the relationship. There has, there has to be or there needs to be some kind of relationship between you and the people that you're speaking with. And a, such a relationship that they see a difference in you than the world or what they get in the world. And that difference is not necessarily something you create, but it's created by the Spirit. That, that, that what they per perceive is something different is actually the Spirit of God working in you and through you to, to make them want more of what you're saying to them. If we, had the joy, if we lived in the joy of the Spirit like these folks do, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think we would be attractive. So read Luke's summary 
in the last verse of this chapter. Oh, okay. Please. Verse 67, page 67, I think. Verse 52. 13 verse, 13, verse 52. And 52, yes. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So that, that's the attraction. I think you're right. I understand. Well, and I think I think that's the attraction, and that's the attraction that doesn't say, and they said all the right words, or that they said they spoke a lot of things, or they told those people about themselves. Like it's, their lives demonstrated. Yes. Yeah. Because when they spoke, people liked it at first, but then when they saw that it was taking away the power that they had, they were like, "Hey, no, never mind. You can you can be on your way." But like. But the life lived in joy, like she, like she mm -hmm. just read. That is, that's going to be far more powerful than us telling them that we have joy and they should have it too. Yeah. Good point. That comes. That comes. There comes for that point. But she, like she yeah. said, the relationship has to be there. And he talks about how, you know, they can have their sins forgiven. I, my guess is we don't have to convict the world of sin. We're told, oh, there's my buzzer. We're told the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. They don't need us. I mean, when they have a business meeting with themselves, they know they don't live a life. They don't. They set standards for themselves. Maybe not related to spiritual thing. We set standards for ourselves related to our diet, our exercise, or whatever, and we don't live up to it. Everybody knows they missed the mark in some way, right? So they probably don't need Christians to inform them or remind them that they're missing the mark somehow. Maybe they don't know they have a, have a sin problem with God, and maybe that's an education. But when they realize they have a sin problem, how can they resist? Yeah. What an irresistible offer to say, God's grace is there for you, but I'm not good enough. That's the point. None of us are. We are. None of us are good enough. And that's what grace is. Um, I've, I've said to people, you know, as I visit them sometimes, and they're, they're on their deathbed, I, I think I talked talk about this in the Wednesday class, they're on their deathbed, and if I know them well, uh, sometimes they'll say, oh, I just don't know if I'm ready, I don't know if I'm good enough, I don't know if I've done enough. And I'll say, you're right, exactly right, you're not. We never do enough. Everything we have is about evidence of God's grace. Thank you. What's our assignment for next week? Chapter 15. That's two or three. Which is the meeting in Jerusalem to argue about this problem with Gentiles who want to be believers. Hmm. What will they decide, huh? Yeah. So it's, it's, I guess it's more of a speech than it is a sermon. But, yeah. Chapter 15 is... Cool. Thank you, folks. Good to have you here.